Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Great to have you in church this morning. Hope you're excited. Ready to receive from God, be challenged and to... uh, to learn something fresh and new from God this morning. We are continuing our series called Salvation as we journey with the people of Israel uh, through out of Egypt and into the promised land. The great narrative of God throughout history is that He is about saving people by His grace and His mercy. And many of us have experienced His saving grace, His saving power. And part of this series of salvation, we're encouraging everybody to tell their story, to take a selfie video and uh, and to share in 30 seconds what their story is. If you haven't done it yet, I encourage you to do it because these stories are going out and connecting amongst our community to uh, those we live, work and laugh with. So let me encourage you to do it. If you don't know how to do it, find somebody who does and get them to show you. Uh, We've got a story this morning I'd love to show you. Uh, Sonia has shared her story. So why don't you cast your eyes to the screen and uh, watch her share her salvation story. I was bullied and abused. I was driven by fear and insecurity. I felt ashamed, unlovable and invisible. But Jesus showed me that I am seen and known, that I was his masterpiece, that he created me carefully and purposefully for a reason, that I am not a mistake. I can live loved because I truly am, because of what he did for me on the cross. I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God, and this is my salvation story. Yeah, come on, why don't you give Sonia a hand? So good. God is saving people. That's his story of salvation. I know many of you have got your story. Share your story. Uh, Make sure you do that uh, over the course of this series. And uh, uh, later on, uh, we're actually going to have an opportunity to continue this montage on our crosses down the front here by just writing down in very short sentence a few words what our story of salvation is. And we're going to be painting that picture across the day here at Mackenzie. We kind of come to a crux point in the story. Now, for the first few weeks, we've been looking particularly at the journey of Moses and his story of salvation with God. And God calls him to, to be a leader who leads others into salvation. And uh, today we're going to be looking uh, more fully at the, the, the Hebrew people as they are stuck in slavery. And God has a purpose to set them free, not just from Egypt, but to set them free from sin also. And so we're going to read from Exodus chapter 12. And so if you've got your Bible with you, uh, open that up. Uh, The words will come on the screen behind me as we read this story together. Exodus chapter 12, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. 
You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each, what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you must take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they had to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they're to eat of the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. This is a proper barbecue. <laughs> Do not leave any of it till morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. I'm sure, uh, like me, many of you have traveled to countries uh, where they have a different language than ours. They don't speak English. Can I just see anybody who's traveled to a, a non-English speaking country, been to a culture like that? Many of you. Many of you. It's pretty confronting when you go to a culture where they speak a different language. It's disorienting. It's confusing. You have to do a lot of work, particularly translating. Maybe you're Google Translate. You've got a little book, and you're trying to make sense of all the signs as you make your way down the highway, as you walk down streets. It's confusing. You know, Megan and I used to love jumping in our little Renault Clio uh, when we were living in the UK and jumping on the barge and going over uh, to France uh, for holidays. And it was always confusing. You'd drive off the barge and all of a sudden you'd be driving on the wrong side of the road. It would be chaos for the first half an hour. Uh, it, it, people were in danger of my driving, I'm going to be honest. Uh, there was one time when we were going to Paris, but I, I, was, I was so determined not to get caught in one of those roundabouts in Paris. I'd done all the planning and all the research, but somehow I got mistaken. I got it wrong. I read the signs wrong and I ended up on one of those roundabouts. I've got to tell you, there were some words coming out of my mouth that were not very Christian, not, not becoming of a pastor of a church. I learned something on those roundabouts. You've got to go hard or go home. A little bit like that bus. Just drive straight through. You know, sight is confusing. Signs in different languages and different cultures are confusing. Just a couple of other stories from close family members. I was on holidays in Italy with my brother, a few of my brothers, uh, Dan and Ben. We were on a lake in North Italy camping. Big storm was coming through in the late evening, and my brother Daniel had got a new camera with a tripod. He was taking photos, and then it just started bucketing down. Me and my other brother Ben ran and made it into the tent, but Dan was caught with his camera. We didn't know where he'd went. He'd, he'd pack down his camera and run to the closest building and made his way into the bathrooms. There he was standing kind of with the camera, just wiping it down with water, where a woman walks out of the cubicle. And here is Dan with his camera set up standing. He goes, no, 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 you don't understand, but she didn't understand him, his English. Can I say it was a very awkward moment for my brother Dan. He'd misread the sign. My lovely wife, Megan, 
She was on holiday. She, was living, she used to live in Austria with some friends. She decided to go on a, uh, on a fun journey to Venice. It's only a two-hour train trip from Austria to Venice. They, play, they left early. It was going to be a wonderful weekend away. Two-hour train trip turned into a 15-hour train trip to Slovenia. That, that misread the signs on the platform and they ended up in a completely different country. I don't even know where Slovenia is, but it's not anywhere near Venice. It can be confusing being in different cultures, reading different signs. And when we read this passage here, I've got to be honest, I find myself confused. Like, what in the world is God doing? Why in the world is the need for blood and death and, and all of this stuff? Painting blood on doors? What's with that? Let me tell you, there is something significant about the signs that are being made in this story. You see, signs have meaning. Sometimes we don't understand the signs and they need translation. We need to do some translation work. But what we do know, just like traffic signs in France and train signs in Austria, they mean something. Signs mean something, they have value, and they point to human flourishing. They're there for a reason. And in the same way, the signs that we read here in Exodus chapter 12 mean something, and they speak about God's great narrative of redemption in the world today. And so over the course of uh, this, this message today, we're going to be doing some translation work. But I, I trust that by the end, you will have a greater understanding of God's grace and redemptive purpose for the people of Israel and for humanity in general, that God is a God who saves. If we go back to the ancient Near East, if we go back to that culture, uh, we see that covenants were made, uh, graphic covenants were made between different parties. Uh, we, we see this uh, in Abraham. So there's this formula, and God comes to Abraham and makes covenant with him, and it was indicative of an ancient Near East. And it kind of went a little bit like this. There was an identification of the sovereign party in both parties. There was a historical prologue. There was a stipulation, basically who was going to do what within a covenant or a contract. Uh, there were blessings and punishments if the covenant wasn't adhered to. There were divine witnesses or witnesses and there was sometimes a meal. That was how covenants were made in the ancient Near East. And if you read in, uh, in Genesis chapter 15, you see God make covenant with Abraham. And then something happens which was also indicative of ancient covenants. God asks Abraham to go find a whole bunch of animals and to sacrifice them and to cut them in half. This was a blood covenant. And what would happen in blood covenants is that two, the two parties, once everything was cut in half and opened up, the two parties would walk through the middle. And in doing so, they were saying, if I don't uphold my side of the covenant, may what's happened to that also be for me also. In other words, it was saying, if I don't uphold my, my, my side of the covenant, I'm dead. I'm dead. And this, in, this is what happens, and you can go and read this in Genesis chapter 15. But this is what, how covenants were done in the ancient Near East. Now, we don't do that today, but we still have contracts 
that still mirror this kind of formula. There, there are the, the parties are identified. There might be some kind of historical prologue. There are there, there, there the stipulations to the covenant, who's going to do what. And because it's a legal document, it carries weight. If you don't adhere to what's in the contract, then you, the full force of the law, will be brought down to bear, depending on the seriousness of the issue. There is a signing that takes place. This is how it, it works. There's probably just no cutting up of animals. You know, a, a, a pretty kind of a, a good, nice reflection of weddings. You know, kind of they reflect that, that covenant process where you've got witnesses, you've got vows, you've, you've got the signing of the register, you've got people there, there is a meal at the end of it. You walk down the middle of an aisle with your in-laws on one side. It's just as bad as walking through dead animals. No, I'm joking. This is how covenants work. And covenants are important. Contracts are important because they enable human flourishing. They enable us to understand how life works. We wouldn't get buildings built. We wouldn't have organizations managed, businesses set up, families, if we didn't have covenants and contracts. It's the way that the world works. But the reason we have covenants and contracts is because fundamentally we are broken. We live in a broken, fallen, dysfunctional world filled with many, many fallen, broken, dysfunctional people. That's everybody. Just turn to the person left to the right of you and say, you're dysfunctional. And then say, bless you. We are. Let me tell you this, it goes right back to Genesis Right, we read the narrative of God who created heaven and earth and he created Adam and Eve, humanity, invited into this wonderful relationship, pure relationship in covenantal harmony. But as we know the story that, that there is one stipulation and that's not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve go, no, stuff you, God. We want to be our own little gods doing what we want. Pride enters the world. They take the fruit. They eat it. And what happens? Death enters the world. Death enters the world. There is death between the relationship between Adam and Eve, the relationship between Adam and Eve and God, and between Adam and Eve and creation. And ultimately, their lives lead to death. And ever since then, the virus of sin, of pride, of selfishness has been working its way out in every human heart. We all suffer from the virus that is sin. We're born into it. We can't help it. And so we need contracts and covenants to keep us so that we don't sin against other parties. And when we do, there is punishment to bear. That is the way the world works. And that is the picture that we're getting here in Exodus chapter 12. You see, sin, we need to get this. Sin is far worse than we think. Sin is just not telling a little lie, white lie every now and again. Sin is endemic in every human heart. Sin ruins everything. Sin leads to death. 
And we get a picture here in Exodus 12 of what sin leads to. This is a picture of what sin leads to. Firstly, we see that sin is dangerously persuasive. It's dangerously persuasive. We see this with Pharaoh. Now, when we read chapter 12 of Exodus, it's on the back end of a whole bunch of plagues. You probably know the story. You've probably read the Ten Commandments. I'm oh, sorry, not read them. You've watched it, the Ten Commandments, or Prince of Egypt. Anyone seen those films? Some of you, that was my primary source of, worship, uh, primary source of research for, uh, for today. You see that there are these plagues that come, nine of them. And you know the story, Moses stands before Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And what does Pharaoh say? No, get stuffed. Well, actually, sometimes he says yes. And then he says no. He goes, yeah, nah. Changes his mind. And Paul in Romans, pointing back to Pharaoh, says that Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God's grace. God comes to Pharaoh once, twice, three, four, right up to nine times and says, let my people go. God didn't need to do that. The things that Pharaoh and the people of Egypt had done to Israel were abominable. God could have come in and just taken the Hebrew nation out in one foul swoop. But he didn't. He gave grace. He offered grace to Pharaoh. And Paul says it's in that journey of saying no that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Hardened to God's voice. Hardened to God's grace. And this is what sin does. Sin hardens our heart and it leads to slavery. It enslaved Pharaoh. Pharaoh was enslaved, I'm guessing, to power and glory. If not that, the fear of failure. But he was enslaved, and as he operated in his sin, he became more and more entangled. He couldn't hear the gracious voice of God. And it happens to us as well. This is the danger of sin. We, we think that if we just start out, oh, it's not too bad, just that, that little thing, but it escalates. We, 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 we reject the voice of our conscience, the voice of the Spirit in our heart. And we keep doing it, we keep doing it. Our heart gets harder and harder and harder until we no longer hear the voice of grace in our life. It's the danger of sin. It's dangerously persuasive. And it leads to slavery. It leads to the habits and addictions ultimately of our heart. It might be that bitter thought that has turned into deep hate, taking residence in your heart. And revenge consumes your thoughts. It, it could be that one click that has turned into a pornography addiction. And no matter how hard you try, the desire grows more intense by the day. Might be that little lie to the boss that has turned into a regular occurrence and now you don't bat an eyelid when you lie to your work colleagues or to your family members. Or it's that extra drink which turned into an alcohol dependency and is slowly consuming your bank balance and your life. See, this is how sin works. Starts off innocent enough, but it grows. The virus grows and grows and grows in our heart. God says to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, Beware, sin is crouching at your door and it longs to master you. Sin longs to master you. 
Sin is dangerously persuasive. And sin, as we read here, is also deeply pervasive. It affects everything and everyone. It's really interesting that we read the story here that we've had the nine plagues that, that affect the people of Egypt, not so much the people of Israel, even though there are some consequences that Pharaoh puts on Israel. But when we get to the ninth, uh, sorry, when we get to the tenth plague, all of a sudden the plague is not just for Egypt, but it's for Israel as well. It's interesting. You see, the sin and broken covenant did not just rely, just did not sit on the people of Egypt. They had done many bad things, but so had Egypt, so had Israel. Israel had forgotten the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Remember, God had walked through those animals with Abraham. A covenant had been made. If you do not adhere to the covenant, then may, may you be like these dead animals. And over the course of history and over the course of time, the people of Israel had forgotten their God. They'd forgotten the covenant that had been made to Abraham. And they were living also under the weight of sin. They were also living under the weight of judgment. The angel of death was indiscriminate. It came to every person who had sinned, Israel and Egypt alike. We read in the prophets that, that Israel, they're, they're warned, the, the prophets say, do not become like Israel who were in Egypt, who had worshipped idols. You know, the, the, the people of Israel had become stiff-necked, we read. They were apathetic. They were selfish. They wanted their own things. They were... They were proud. You know, they didn't, they, 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 were, they had no faith. They didn't trust God time and time again. They were stiff-necked people. They had forgotten and rejected God. They were guilty of judgment under their sin. And so God in this final plague comes to every door, knocks on every door. You know, it's not just for Israel, but it's for every person. Every person has sinned in some way or some form. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was um, randomly, it has to be said, I was in a, an art gallery uh, in South Bank. Uh, don't ask me how I ended up there. I'm certainly no art critic. I don't have, have, have no idea about art, to be completely honest with you, but I, it was one of those stinking hot days and I just needed some air conditioning, so I ended up in that building. And uh, because I was using the air conditioning, I felt compelled to walk around and look at the art and just nod, look like, like I knew what I was doing. You know how we do that. Anyway, some of the ladies who were working there asked me about the art, and I was, I had, I was honest, I had no idea, but we, we, ended up, we ended up talking about faith. One was an atheist and one was a universalist. And we all agreed that the world is stuffed. We could all agree on that point. We all talked about, you know, they didn't use the word sin. I tried to avoid the word sin. But we all agreed that, that you know, the world is just ruined. There are, there's, there's some, you know, it's stuffed. But as we continued to talk, 
they, and they began to say, the atheists said, oh, you know, there is good in us. We just, we can all be good. We've just got to work a little bit harder. And the universal said, well, you know, we're all, we're all kind of in it together. You know, we're all essentially good. And I, I'm thinking, but you just said the world is stuffed. How, how does that happen? The reality is the world is stuffed because of people like you and me. I didn't say that to them. I'm saying it to you. <laughs> the world is stuffed because of you and me. We all sin. In Romans chapter 3 it says, For all have sinned. No one can keep the covenant laws, the holy laws that God is. God is a holy God. None of us, all of us fall short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. It may be big or it may be small. You may be sitting here going, yeah, Andrew, but I am pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy, pretty good girl. I haven't murdered anyone. Good job. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done any really bad sin. I'm genuinely, I love people. I'm a good person. But if we're really honest, we've done something because let me tell you this, the, covenant, the covenantal law doesn't have, it's not subjective. You know, it's basically your inner, your out. Just any little thing. And we are all guilty in some way. You know, some of us may have just told that little white lie every now and again. I know, I, I know I am at times incredibly selfish and put myself above others. I know some of us have struggled in the past with lust of the eyes. All of us live with pride in our hearts. You know, there's another sin. It's not just the sins of what we do, but what we don't do. At times, we are apathetic, just like the people of Israel. We see things that are wrong and we do nothing about it. That's a sin. That's a sin. We all live under the weight of of judgment and sin. Sorry, that's bad news. But it's true. Sin is deeply pervasive and it's powerful. In the end, if it's not treated, sin leads to death. Let me tell you this. We get this wrong sometimes. We, sin, sin doesn't make us bad. It does there's something far more profound than that. Sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead. See, sin is permanent. Sin kills every one of us. It leads to death. Sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead. It rips us out of life and it destroys us. Over time, it destroys us. And God can see this. And God looks down on his broken world and just as he offered grace to Pharaoh, he comes and he offers grace to the people of Israel and he offers grace to us. And he offers it in the way of sacrifice. Substitution. Salvation is found in sacrifice. The question is, who's going to be sacrificed? What's going to be sacrificed? And God comes to the, to, the, to the Hebrews, they're suffering in Egypt. 
the final Passover, they are as guilty as Egypt, deserving of death. And God says, I tell you what, you're going to have a big barbecue. And you're going to cut up, you're going to go and find a lamb that's a year old, unblemished. And what you're going to do is you're going to spill its blood in place of your own. If I can get the paint in here. And what I want you to do is spill that blood and take that blood and go to the doorpost of your house and you are to smear that over the doorpost, down the sides, on the crossbeam, just smear it across and this will be a sign that death has taken place. A death has taken place. The death of an animal in the place of your household, in the place of your sins, in the place of your, of your failed adherence to the covenant. And when the angel of death comes knocking, when it comes visiting, when it goes past your door, it will see the blood of the Lamb and it'll say, forgiven, forgiven, and it will pass over. Death will pass over your house. And the angel of death comes as it comes to each of us at some point in our life. And it makes its way past, forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And where there were houses and homes, where there was no blood, where there was no sacrifice, death came to that house. God gave the people of Israel a sacrifice to save them. And profoundly, I mean, this, this is what was due. This is the covenant being outworked, but in a gracious way. And in the same way, God has done that for every one of us who live under the judgment and condemnation of sin, which leads to death. Every one of us deserves death. Every one of us. We don't deserve life in Christ, in God. But the amazing story is that the profound story of grace that is the Christian faith is that God looked down from heaven again to us, looks down with compassion and grace, and says, I, 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 want, I, I want to forgive. The, these people are lost in their, in their sin, their brokenness. They are dead. And God chooses to step down from heaven. And he comes as a human being, hiding his glory. And he walks amongst us. For three years, he ministers, setting the captives free, healing the blind, healing the sick, spending time with the poor and the needy, shining God's love, God's sacrificial love. He lived the perfect life. But because he claimed to be the Messiah, the one that would set people free, that he was the Savior, the teachers of the law got angry and they ensured that he was murdered by Romans on a Roman cross outside the city 
on, at Golgotha. And there, Jesus, the Savior of the world, naked and shamed, was murdered for us. And he took upon himself all our sin, all our brokenness, all our shame, all our lust, our apathy, our pride, everything that we have done, all of the things that the world has done, all sin he took upon himself, the perfect sacrifice. He died for us. The scriptures say that he was the once and for all sacrifice. It was for everyone. Jesus' blood covers our sins. And the good news is, people, that he didn't just stay there dead on a cross, but three days later he rose again, ensuring that we are invited into a life in him. That is the good news of the gospel. We are no longer dead, but we are alive through the blood of Jesus. It changes everything. God is true. He is just to his covenant. He is true to his covenant, but in the most gracious, profound way, he takes upon the sacrifice. He takes it upon himself and he dies for us. Now, sin doesn't make us bad, it makes us dead, but God's grace. Oh, it doesn't make us good, it makes us alive. It makes us alive. It sets us free. Changes everything. It changes our life. Many of you have that salvation story. I'd love to uh, um, have you hear a salvation story this morning. I caught up with Curtis during the week and heard some of his story, and I just wanted you to hear it as well. So why don't you give Curtis a huge hand as he comes to share his salvation story. Hey, Curtis, how are you? Great, yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Mate, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Now, um, just tell, before, before we get going, just tell us um, a little bit of who you are, what you do. Um, I'm throwing that out <laughs> to you. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so my name's Curtis. I'm 23 years old and I work for Telstra in the city. Very good. And which church do you attend? Uh, we're at the Logan campus. Very good. So we've got a Logan campus uh, guy with actually also, yeah, give him a hand. And, then, and there's, another, there's another point to that. And I was talking about weddings and marriage before. Uh, you married the lovely Sam last year uh, yes. on a Saturday. Uh, what did you do the next day? Uh, so we got married on the 21st of July. And uh, the next day was the first opening of the Logan campus. So we went straight to church the next day. Come on. How good is that? I think that that deserves an applause as well. That is commitment. Going to church the next day. So good. Um, hey, mate, uh, I, I love catching up with, uh, with you this week and just hearing a bit of your story, and I'd love for you to share it with us today. Um, just tell us, to start with, what was your growing up experience, uh, particularly in relation to, to God? Did you have any Yeah, so my family is not religious at all. Um, Sammy's family is. She was lucky enough to be brought up in a Christian family. Uh, my family had no real picture of God. Um, the upbringing I sort of got was that, you know, it, it was sort of a bit of a fairy tale that there could be an all-loving, all-powerful God um, that would care about everyone. And um, I suppose I got drilled into my head that, that was sort of a way that the church would use to make money out of everyday people. 
But um, beside of that, that's I don't really have any right. other. So yeah. quite cynical. Yeah, actually. unfortunately. Um, tell us a little bit about your uh, life then before meeting Jesus. What did you, you know, you, through your late teens and then into your... Um, yeah, yeah. So um, growing up, I was extremely selfish. Uh, I played footy at a footy club in Macravat. What was and, his name? Uh, I like... Uh, it was the Vultures. <laughs> so. he, he was telling me the other day that they'd had this vulture culture, which probably doesn't sound too great. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's fairly toxic. Um, I can't blame everything on the footy club. Uh, it's all myself. Uh, but, yeah, growing up, I, you know, I was very selfish. Um, I delved in a lot of illicit substances and, um, you know, a lot of unfaithful relationships as well. Um, some of which that impacted my current relationships at the time. So, um, yeah, not the most holy upbringing. So, what what did that lead to? Tell me, just the, did that lifestyle? Um, where did it leave you at the end of it all? Uh, so, towards the end of my uh, life, before I met Jesus, I was strongly con- contemplating suicide. Yeah. Um, I got to the point where I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do anything. Um, I didn't want to go on. And um, I actually had a moment of clarity here at this church um, where I felt God's grace. Um, I emotionally got down hands and knees and couldn't do it. So that's, that's where I was going. I figured, you know, the world would be a better place if I wasn't here and couldn't cause any more hurt. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, amazing story. Uh, you were telling me that you came just, it was just Easter last year, so not that long ago. Maybe you were coming for a few weeks before then, but the, just the grace of God uh, hit you. What was that like? Oh, it was, it was amazing. It's, you know, going from a life where it's a fairy tale to feeling God's grace, His tender love, it was just amazing. We walked in here, oh, I walked in here by myself on Easter Sunday morning, and um, yeah, it was packed. I came in late and tried to sidestep my way up to roughly this area and I sat down only to be tapped on the shoulder by my ex-girlfriend at the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, we... Or your now wife. Yes, yeah. So um, we ended up going out for lunch and talking things seriously and she saw a huge change in me, both um, you know, mainly emotional um, and physically as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, we decided to put God first and get married. Wow. Do things the right way. Yeah, it's awesome. And what's life been like? I mean, it hasn't been too long, but what's life been like now living under His grace? Oh, amazing. It's, it's amazing because I still get to visit my family. I still get to see how their life is, and they get to see how my life is as well. And they've seen huge change, and this is the same with my friends as well as family. Um, yeah, it's been great. I can't believe that I've been pulled out of the pit yeah. you know, by such a loving father. Yeah. It's great. Isn't that awesome? I, I, I was sitting down um, the other day with Curtis, and he just, he just said to me, I'm sorry to put words in your mouth, mate, but just I can't stop talk, talking about Jesus. I just want to learn more about him. Yes, that's right. And uh, I love hearing that. That's amazing. Hey, mate, thanks for sharing your story with us. Why don't you give yes. Curtis a huge thanks. hand? Thank you, mate. See, sin is far worse than what you think, but God's grace is far greater than you can ever imagine. It changes your life. It rescues you from the, from the pit, as Curtis said, the pit of death, and draws you into eternal life. But every one of us has that choice. We all have that choice. God does not enforce it on us. The people of Israel didn't have to do this. We don't have to come to Jesus and say, Yes, I receive it. 
But let me tell you, when you do, you're invited. You are made a new creation. Paul says a new creation is here. The old has gone and the new is come. You are given life. God gives you life. And we are given a life to live, to proclaim Jesus. That's the wonderful thing. In Romans chapter 12, it says that we are called to be a living sacrifice. You know, we're a living sacrifice. The problem is with living sacrifices, they tend to wriggle off the altar. And we've got to find our well back on. But when we do, we are a sign. We are that sign. We are translating God's love and His grace into a world that is dying and dead and needs His forgiveness and grace. We are that sign as we live His grace and His mercy in our life. Hey, I want to ask you this morning, do you know that grace? Do you know that life? If the angel of death were to come by your heart today, what would be your answer? What would happen? See, we're all appointed to die and we will all be judged and in our sin we will be condemned guilty before a holy God. But we are offered grace through Jesus. And if we are in Him, when judgment comes, angel comes and looks up, it just sees the blood of Jesus. We are forgiven and free. We are no longer under judgment, but we receive mercy. Let me ask you today, do you know that mercy? Have you received that grace? Or are you trying to be just good and trying to fix your own sin? Let me tell you, it's a virus you cannot heal yourself from. You can't. And you will die dead. You will die in your sin. Eternal death. Maybe you're sitting here today and this is your first time at church. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe you've heard the story of Jesus, but you've never heard it like this before. Let me tell you, don't be like Pharaoh and harden your heart. Don't sit here and go, oh, another time, another time. I'll have another time. You don't know when the angel of death will come. This is your moment. Don't harden your heart. Respond to his voice of grace today. And let me tell you, it'll change your life forever, just like it's changed Curtis's. Will you do that? If you're outside of grace today, will you step in? All you need to do is to bow the knee and say, I can't do it. I need the saving work of Jesus. My life is not my own. It's been bought with a price. I need Jesus. It's humbling. It's liberating. Hey, just across this place right now, I wonder whether we can bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're sitting here, maybe your heart's pounding, you know this is the moment the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. You've just got that conscious kind of feeling. You know you're outside of grace. You haven't received Jesus into your life and all His grace, the blood of Jesus at work in you, and you know you need it. This is your moment. This is your time. Let me just ask you right now is just to raise your hand. Just across this place with every head bowed and every eye closed. That's you. Thank you for that. Awesome. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is a moment the Spirit is speaking to your heart. You need to respond. Is there anyone else? Just stick your hand up high in the sky saying, yes, that's me. I need forgiveness. I need His grace. Thank you. I see that hand. I say that hand, man. Awesome. Awesome. 
Anyone else? Thank you. Over there on the right. Thank you. Just a few more moments. This is, this is a moment in eternity. Awesome. I see that hand up the back. That's so cool. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Eternal decision. So good. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand up up the back there. That's so good. Fantastic. We are invited from death into life. Those who've put their hand up now, just saying, we want to step out of death and into life. Hey, why don't we open our eyes just for a moment? And I'd love to lead us all through a prayer. And, and this is for those who've stuck their hand up in the sky just now. This is a prayer for you. This is a prayer saying, I am receiving your grace, Jesus. I have sinned. I need your grace. Come into my life. And uh, if you can pray this prayer as a Christian, this is a good prayer to pray. Even if you have made a statement of faith, you are in Christ. Why don't we pray along and say this out along with those who stuck their hand up today. Come on, let's speak it out together. Let's read it. Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I turn from everything that I know is wrong and choose to follow you. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I can be forgiven. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and promise me new life. Please come into my life so I can know your power and grace forever. Amen. Amen. Awesome prayer to pray. Why don't we give those who stuck their hand up and prayed that for the first time a huge hand. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.